really bad investments are easy to find. They really are. To all the people who want to be entrepreneurs out there and, and seek investment, please be an entrepreneur. Don't do it because you think getting investment's a cool thing to do. Getting an investment is basically an admission that you can't sell to your customers yet. If you can sell to your customers and get cash from customers, it's a far easier way forward. Hi, and welcome to Data Futurology. My name is Felipe Flores. In this podcast, we interview industry leaders, typically in the data science space, and we get their lessons learned, tips, tricks to help you in your career. However, this episode forms part of one of our new series, which is around entrepreneurship and innovation. After polling the audience, and thanks everyone who responded, we decided to launch a few different uh, series. So the original podcast with the data science leaders, that stays. And we have a few dedicated series, this one being an innovation entrepreneurship. Watch out for the other three or four that we've got coming up. Today, we're speaking with Mr. Steve Baxter. Many of you would know him from Shark Tank. So he was one of Australia's sharks doing investments. Steve has at least 25 years in entrepreneurship and investment. He started his first company in 1994. Since then, he's become an investor. He tells us about his existing portfolio of over 30 companies. As you can expect, it is an awesome conversation. Definitely one for people who are working in startups, people who are thinking about doing their own startups, anyone around the startup scene. If you've been curious about the startup scene, you'll definitely benefit from this episode. Here's a conversation with Mr. Steve Baxter. I hope you enjoy it. If you want to get more value from your data analytics investment, I highly recommend you speak with Rubix. That's Rubix with an X at the end. I've done a lot of work with them. They're excellent at what they do, and they're a lot of fun to work with as well. Rubix are a fully Australian-owned data analytics technology services company. They work with top ASX-listed companies. They are dedicated to being Australia's leading data company. That's all they do. They love doing it. The experts at Rubix apply their extensive data capability and rapid analytics framework to help you get the value you need from your data within a couple of weeks. After that, the sky's the limit. I've been impressed at how fast they are at delivery. Unlike other consulting companies, Rubix is a true partner. They are data specialists. They always send in their A-team, or as they like to call it, the Data Avengers. For data strategy, all the way through to delivery, give them a call, ask for Dylan. You'll have a fantastic conversation. You'll walk away smarter and have had a few laughs as well. And also check out the website, rubix.com.au. And for the contact form, go to rubix.com.au forward slash contact. Steve, thanks so much for coming on the show. How are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, Felipe. How's yourself? Oh, very well, mate. I am very excited to be speaking with you. I've got heaps and heaps of questions. And as you know, and how, as we were chatting just before, Data Futurology as a podcast is a data science-focused podcast. But there's, there's so many listeners that have their own startups, uh, either work in startups or are thinking about starting their own business, um, so much so that as at a, at a popular request, we... Um, We've started an entrepreneurship and innovation series, which uh, our chat today forms part of. And it's definitely a, a passion of mine as well. Um, I, I had a consulting business in the past. Um, now, in the past couple of years, this podcast has um, 
start becoming into, into um, from a passion business or from a passion became a business. And I work in a, in a healthcare AI startup. Um, so I love, I love startups as well. And I'm very excited to pick your brain. And so thank you so much for, for spending t- a bit of time today with us. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to start by asking you um, uh, a bit about the, the changes that you see between being an entrepreneur and running your business, uh, things that you did successfully um, to, to obviously big, um, um, finishing big in terms of both, both of your businesses. How do you see the differences between being an, an entrepreneur and being an investor? And how did you find that transition for yourself um, going into the investment side in Australia? Um. So uh, there's, lots of, there's lots of differences, I suppose. So my background is telecoms, uh, ex-telecoms entrepreneur. I had a, a dial-up internet service provider back in the mid-90s and I sold that in the early 2000s. And then I uh, co-founded a um, wholesale telecommunications provider. Um, in 2001, we, we, we listed that in 2005 on the ASX and sold that in 2010. Um, so look, the... There's, there's lots of difference and lots of, I suppose there's, there's lots of commonalities as well. So lots of differences and lots of similarities. Um, I, I suppose the, the bits uh, that are different are, um, you know, I, I don't run a business. So I shouldn't say that I have an investment business here. We have seven staff. So I, I, I do, I, I don't regard myself as an entrepreneur with this business, I suppose. Well, I probably should. Um, this, this is definitely an investment business where we um, sort of, if you've ever seen Shark Tank, we do what we do on that, but we just take a lot longer to make our decisions. Um, so, uh, and, and we obviously, it, it's, whilst that show is, I think is a quite a serious show, we, we, we do things in a, in a quite a different way here. So the differences are, I mean, I suppose we, uh, well, the, the common parts, you know, we use software in order to get an outcome here. So we, we use machines to improve our process and procedure and get that sort of known quality sort of process and outcome. Um, excuse me, you still have a team and you still have to motivate a team and you remunerate and all the other HR bits and pieces that go along with running a business. So that, that's you know, quite important to understand. Uh, what is different, I suppose, is that it's a weird business where obviously, I don't know when this will go to air. So I, I won't say obviously, but we're going, the world's going through the whole Wuhan flu thing at the moment, right? We'll be locked inside by, by politicians who don't really have much imagination when it comes to fighting these sorts of things. So... Um, and there's a lot of businesses out there that are doing very poorly. Um, mm-hmm. Our business gets revenue every three to four years. So, um, you know, we so basically I'm like a giant ATM machine for three years that will come up to me and take money out. And then every sort of three or four years, a whole bunch of money hopefully gets tipped back in the top. Um, so it hasn't really affected us in that respect, I suppose. But, you know, there's a lot happening out there. So, um, so I'm quite lucky in that we, we don't actually have a business that has to actually sort of do much. I mean, if over a longer period of time we don't perform, we, we won't perform at all. So, um, but it doesn't have the immediacy of, of needing to get things solved now, um, which can be good and can be bad, can make you a bit lazy at times as well. Well, uh, maybe, uh, maybe I, 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 doubt, um, I doubt being lazy is one of your troubles, <laughs> problems. Um, and, and definitely I can see the, I can see there are big differences between, you know, when you're, 
uh, being an entrepreneur and obviously the the exits that you mentioned um the the first one i think was to oz email and the second pipe networks went to um to tpg in the end uh i hadn't realized that you listed after you know four four or five years and in 2005 um man that is that is <laughs> that is amazing um really really impressive so i i can see that during the entrepreneurship stage uh, there is definitely uh a lot of a lot of pressure for immediate uh, revenue and and chasing you know short sometimes short engagements or short sales cycles and trying to um, put a lot of pressure for things to happen. And in the investor world, uh, it sounds like you um, have have maybe more time to make the decisions. Uh, do you do you find that it's um, since it has longer pay, pay payback periods? Does that mean that the decision process is it is it longer and uh, if and and what does the due diligence uh, process look like? Um, obviously, whatever you, you're comfortable sharing, but what, what would that yeah. look like? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's various phases in there, I suppose. So. Um, the we can't be lazy in decision making. I mean, just because the the ultimate um, capital realization may take many years, if ever, for it to come off. Um, it doesn't mean the decision-making that gets you into the situation where you make that investment and you buy that security. And we don't give money to entrepreneurs. We buy the equity off them. And that's, it's a very important thing. I try and drive home to them all the time. So um, we go through a process to do that. Um, we're out there looking for the best investments. You know, really bad investments are easy to find. They really are. Um, to all the people who are wanting to be, in, wanting to be entrepreneurs out there and, and seek investment, um, please be an entrepreneur. Don't because you think getting investment's a cool thing to do. Getting an investment is, is basically an admission that you can't sell to your customers yet. Um, you know, if, if you can sell to your customers and get cash from customers, it's a far easier way forward. So, um, so we're out there looking for the best companies uh, in order to put our money with. Um, and up until about the last seven months, it's all been my money essentially, so we haven't had an external cash uh, in the business at all. So we um, spent a lot of time, we've got a team of seven there. We, we've literally travel the world, Australia and the world, trying to find, uh, build networks to find the best businesses we possibly can. We're about to do a deal that we found, a deal out of Sydney, well, we hope we get the deal, out of mm -hmm. Sydney that we found through uh, contacting the US. These chaps went to the US and, you know, contacted people over there and said, look, no, not asked, but hey, how about these guys in Australia? So um, wow. you, you've really got to set some long routes in this business. Um, and we spent many years developing those routes. Uh, and they're really starting to pay off now, even even in, a, in the current lockdown state, where you know they're, they're really paying off for us, which is good. So look, our decisions. So we can have like sometimes we've been following a company just off offhand, catching up with coffee or just a bit of a catch up around again. Then all of a sudden I say, hey, we're closing around in three days. So you got three days to make your mind up or you're out. And it's like, thanks for that. Um, so you know it's a bit longer than eight to twelve minutes on TV. I have to admit, but um, uh, it, it's still there's a lot to get through and a lot to do. Um, a lot of times we're just happy with the company. We just got to say. You know, very minimal DD sometimes. Um, that's not always the case. Probably the case maybe three or four times. Um, so the decision making can be quite rapid in that respect. Uh, and then afterwards, what we, was what we call you know portfolio work, where we we work with the companies. What do you need? We we sell ourselves, and we believe we have a lot to offer with respect to not just being a um, um, not just being just being capital, but also actually bringing expertise. And, and especially now with our syndicate network, we can bring a lot of expertise. So we spend a lot of time talking to our businesses, sort of saying, hey, how can we help? Um, the, the really good ones talk back. So, um, 
that's that's really interesting because um, I definitely wanted to to ask you about what what does it look like once you um, what does the engagement look like once you invest in a company in in the past on the on the podcast we've had some people that have had businesses that were uh, that had investment from from I guess some big players in the U.S. Um, like Anderson Horowitz and and people like that and they describe that for their side the people we had in the podcast, they were the entrepreneur in that case. And they felt that the relationship was quite transactional, that uh, people um, definitely believed in the business, believed in the people, but they were almost taking a gamble and saying like, I'm here to help. Um, I wanted to work out, but I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not um, obviously not married to the business. Um, what does the engagement look like for you once, once an investment has been made, um, how is that relationship over time? I think, I think you would un- understand your investor a fair bit there as well. I'm not going to speak of any particular investor, but th- there's lots of characteristics that define investors. Um, I'd be, I, we would be what you'd call a, a low conviction investor. We, we, so we take um, a large number of smaller um, investments in a, in, a, in a wider portfolio. Um, some investors out there, um, and there's, there's no right or wrong here. They'll, they will put, you know, they'll have five or six, whereas we'd have 30, they'll have five or six. And they'll put a lot of time and effort in. They'll be in their face three times a week saying, right, why aren't you doing this? What's going on? Yes. That's not us. So, I mean, the, the bigger your portfolio, the less chance you've got of doing that, the less ability you've got to be able to do that. So, um, you know, we we invest in a lot of things. We can't be expert in all of them. Even the seven people, we can't be expert in probably, half, probably a third of them, to be quite honest. We're, in that respect, we're generalists and we bring a network. We bring um, a, 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 a chunk of experience that they probably couldn't otherwise get access to. So um, one thing I will say, you know, I, I, I've, there's, there's certain sorts of entrepreneurs who've pissed me off over the years and people I've invested in, um, essentially, and, you know, the, the, the ones who... And also, I've got more respect. I've got a lot of respect, just as much respect for some of the ones who've lost a shit ton of my money than I have for the ones who haven't. Mm, wow. Um, the ones, the ones who took. Well, you know, because it's, it's you, you're taking a ride with them, right? You're taking a you're taking a ride on on their idea of how to solve something, and no one knows at the time if they're right or wrong, and you don't really know how to get execute or what, what competitors are going to pop up on you all of a sudden. I mean, we raised like what, eleven million bucks for one business. I was part of that. It wasn't the whole me. Yeah. Um, to the business of California, our competitors raised like 125 mil US, and giving, giving and they're giving out the, the product away, which is competitor ours, free for customers for two years. I'm like, what, uh, what do you what do you do there? So we better go and find something else to do. Um, so you know, so you just can't. You know, it, it's so much has to go right with the business timing. Um, uh, timing of all sorts, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a slice of luck, there's building and getting the right team together and all sorts of bits and pieces. So but the ones that don't like are the ones who don't talk to you or, or literally uh, you'll sit there and you'll be asking, we, we, we try and get at least a quarterly report out. Um, it can it can be half a dozen lines, two paragraphs on, on what's going on, how can we help you? Um, you know, if you're not talking to us at least once a year with something a bit more official, like some sort of statement of what the hell we've invested in you, then you know, you're just being rude and plenty do that. Um, but then you'll see, you, you won't hear from them for a while and you'll get this little update saying, how's it all going? You get one the next week and you go, right, within two weeks, they're going to send me a request for more investment. They need more money. And you just know it's a signals intelligence, right? You, you just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that. Yeah, trying to raise some more cash. Now I'm your friend again. Um, so um, we, we say to people like that, treat you like an ATM machine. You only see them when they want cash. Um, and that just, just pisses off. I mean, there's some good businesses out there that do it to you and you just, Okay, 
but uh, I know for the most part, we uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's things like that. So how you use your investors is important. Understanding what their motivations are, how they invest, where their experience is, have a look at their network. You should have researched this beforehand, um, and then how you can best leverage that. If you're just after a cold hard cash, then fine, that's okay. That, that's an okay answer. But if you're just after a cold hard cash and then complain you're gonna get something else, then yeah, you know, you probably get yourself to blame. Exactly, <laughs> exactly right. And um, that that description, um, it, uh, what you just said, it it unfortunately accurately represented uh, my first startup experience, where um, we had we had uh, we started with one investor, we got an, another investor a couple of years in, and. I, I definitely didn't engage enough. I didn't, I didn't provide enough information. I didn't start the right conversations. And you know, f- for me personally, part of it was feeling inadequate. So I, 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 at the time, I felt like we could be doing so much better. There should be so many things that I, that I could and should be doing. Definitely overwhelmed. Um, this was... Oh, I was, you know, mid twenties. So like 13, 14 years ago. And, um, and I ended up making, um, bigger problems out of the mistakes that I was making because I wasn't, I wasn't reaching out and leveraging the, the skills and knowledge and experience that I already had in my team. I was like, you know, as in like on my camp is what I mean, that these people were definitely, um, uh, keen for me to succeed and, and I, I was letting my own, own emotions and feelings get in the way. What, what, do, what, what would you say to, to people that, that feel like that or, or, that, or that go through situations like that? Um, uh, is, is there anything that you would say to them? Um, yeah, don't do that. Um, <laughs> easy answer. I love it. If you, know you're doing it. if you know you're doing it and it's wrong, then stop it and do anything else. If you do anything else, it should be worse than, it should be better than the wrong thing you were doing. Um, so look, yeah, I understand that. So, you know, you get some, you get some people who maybe had a lot more life experiences. You may be carrying a decade to or more in business than you. Um, but that's all the more reason to talk to them. Correct. Um, you know, even, you know, it's thing about bad news is when you hide it, it just doesn't ever get any better. So, no. um, bring it out. We might be able to help. Could we like come in, you know, it, it's so, you know, it's hard to sort of get in a few of the examples about, if they ever listened to this, no, I'm talking about them. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, if you just don't talk to us and then when you come to us, you want to help, we're like, yeah, we'll get around it. You know, really honestly, um, you much prefer to help people who respect it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the, one of the big lessons that I learned that, um, that you have to, you know, invest in the relationships, um, and, and get the trust ahead of time. Hmm. Um, no, that's, that's, um, that's very very true. And how was how was your first uh, first investment outside of telco, or maybe your your first couple of investments outside of telco? Because you you were um, the the majority. Correct me if I'm wrong, but but uh, my understanding is that the majority of your entrepreneurship uh, ex- experience from from a hands-on running the the businesses that was in the telco space. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, obviously, going into you know thirty plus investments uh, that you have currently. Um, the, the, the fields are, are very varied. Um, how is, how is that transition of expanding, uh, expanding industries for you? Well, I didn't want to go back into telco and, and when I first started, I was in, I was on the board of Vocus. We took that from listing up to ASX 100 company, you know, in about sort of six years. That was a lot of fun. 
But I, I didn't like telco for various reasons. One was the sovereign interference, which is called MBN. The, the, the way that the government's re-monopolised telecoms in Australia is, is worthy of a, a socialist or a West African country. It's horrible. So um, uh, there, there was way too much risk in that area there for me. And I actually had a quite professional bittering. I didn't, didn't want any part of it, to be truthful. Plenty of people did stay in that space and, and you know, do quite well. That wasn't for me. Um, so, look, I always had an interest in a bit of tech software and all the rest of it. My, my first business, my, both of my first two businesses, I um, essentially wrote the operating software for those businesses. There was no CRMs at the time. So, you know, we had to write our own gear. Um, and so, you know, I'm a very filthy backyard hacker, you might say. Uh, I was, I haven't done it for years. So, I, I enjoy what you can do with software and the possibilities that it brings, I suppose. Um, uh, I, I did. I did forget the question I'm answering, sorry, Felipe. Oh no, I was just asking you about um, how was it that you started moving away from from telco and and what were those first few uh, investments outside of telco? Yeah, so so the, well, the first few um, were almost software related. Now I think actually one just exited. It was probably my second or so investment after I started, um, and it was my only social investment. I don't like investing social enterprise or social investment. I call them charities. I think they're horrible. Um, but uh, this chap had a, uh, had a plastic medical device I thought that might save some lives one day. Um, and that was back in 2011. Mm-hmm. And he recently, we had an exit that's right at the start of, of, of the Wuhan flu sh- shutdown. He listed the company, the ASX, and, and we, you know, we got about 14 times our cash out of that. So that oh. was really, really quite good. So, um, so everything, we had software back then. We had, you know, a business called Text for Coffee that used to be, uh, uh, it was very for, the forerunner of, you know, ordering food via an app. But it was because there was only text around at the time. You, could, you, had, you had a series of text codes you could do to get your favorite coffee, have it waiting for you type thing. So um, taught me a lot about the retail industry, that's for sure. Um, oh, some of the early ones, um, so a lot, lot are still going actually. Well, you know, a lot are still alive anyway. That's great. Oh, yeah. That's that's great. And and um, how was how's your your or in general how have your involvements in the technology space have been? Um, uh, obviously, quite quite varied for many people. Um, some people that are that are that are sort of technology adjacent, they sometimes see it as you know some of the holy grail. Um, how how have your experiences been in in understanding so deeply what? what a successful technology company uh, looks like. In the last couple of years, um, we've really gone to, um, uh, I suppose, traction-led investing. In investing. So mm-hmm. uh, what do I know that works? I don't know. There's lots of crazy shit that, that did work and lots of not-so-crazy shit that didn't work. <laughs> so, to, so to think that a, that a 49-year-old's got to, you know, figure out what the 21-year-olds want, excuse me, and apparently they want no police and you know, anarchy, but anyway, um, then, you know, it's going to... <laughs> that'll finish well. Um, that, that'll, you know, so it, 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 and so to my point before about, um, you know, if you need an investor, then, you know, you, you probably got some problems yes. in that you actually haven't built something. And, and a lot of things can't be built there. This is me, I'll get that. Um, or the thing, you've, the thing you've built hasn't got, hasn't got people paying for it yet, which is sort of also okay, you know. But what, and so what we want to see is traction. So um, we have had a business, we have a business we've invested in called ClipChamp. What am I wearing today? No, I'm not wearing them. Um, they're a browser-based video editing, uh, editing suite. Um, when, you know, when they, they had various iterations of their technologies and I caught up with them over the years. Um, didn't pass in their first couple of rounds, which I probably should have. The angels who got in there in Brisbane are doing quite well. Um, 
we've come in the last three rounds, a couple of seed rounds, and the last series A. Um, but they they had I think about you know they had nothing when I first saw them, and they went the second time I saw them they had about four million users, then eight million users. Wow. Um, not not quite commensurate revenue. So you know it was a usage based. It was hey come and use it for free for you know, x many video edits etc cetera, etc cetera, per month. So and and they're now working out how to charge money for it, which is great. So um, traction, you know, has someone invested time, preferably money, in, mm-hmm. in, in using your platform and, and how does that look? And what's the opportunity for the upside there? We're looking at another one right now with a, um, oh, God, I probably can't say too much on that one, to be honest. We haven't, we're not, once it hits a press, but, you know, he's got quite a lot of traction in his business. Um, it's a financial marketplace i'm just gonna have to disguise what it is it sort of looked like could you could you could sort of stand on your head and think it's a financial marketplace um but he's, he's got billions going through it every year and he's and he's you know he's only clipping very very small amounts so you know we look at that and say well okay people have actually taken the time and effort to do this um yeah. and to actually use your thing and and they probably haven't got the most mature offering when it comes to uh, how, how to extract revenue from those from that usage so we're very keen for that now. A lot of people call it, you know, PLG, product-led growth. There's all sorts of things. We, we call it traction. You know, the best traction is profit. Second best traction is revenue. Uh, you've got profit, you probably don't need me. Uh, second best traction is revenue. And then the, then, then just people using it. That's, 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 the, that's the good stuff. That's, that is awesome. That is awesome. Um, no, and I can, I can definitely see the, um, the benefits there. And during, during your time uh, as an investor, um, you know, out of out of um, Silicon Valley came out this um, this methodology called Lean Startup. To, um, I'm sure I'm sure you you know about it, but for the people that don't know, uh, the idea is to be able to test your ideas uh, at a small scale and see whether you can get distraction that then can lead to revenue. Um, how have you seen uh, the Lean Startup affect the uh, the investment space, uh, the the startup space, um, obviously, if if at all. But how have you seen the the impact of, of ideas like this coming out of Silicon Valley? Look, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I respect and I, I like, and I think there's, there's there's enormous validity to the lean startup. So none of this should be interpreted as a criticism of lean startup. But I, I don't think it, it had the effect. It alone had the effect that people think it does. What I think had the effect is is a general commoditization and cloudifying of, of everything. So back when we started Pipe Networks, you know, we, we did what we did. We, we, we had 140 grand between us. I think we got it to be about 280. We, we tipped in before we took external money. Um, we both had business exits before, so we had a little bit of cash to spare. Um, so, uh, but then you needed 100, 200,000 bucks worth of stuff, computers, offices, telecoms links, you know, licenses for software, blah, blah, blah. You, you just needed that. Mm. Um, something can happen where all of a sudden, instead of that sort of, you know, 150 to 250,000 bucks, you need to probably you know, have a pretty serious tilt at something. All of a sudden you needed a, a half dozen mates with a laptop each and, and an office 365 or a Gmail account. Mm-hmm. You know, like, eh, I'm free, free, free AWS for a while. So whether, whether Lean Startup caused that or whether Lean Startup took advantage of that, I'm not too sure, but it's definitely that commoditization, cloudization of hardware is very sort of, you know, <laughs> Uh, COVID friendly sort of op- mode of operating where you can walk away with a laptop and still do business, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I think Lean Startup gave some really good business methodologies for people to look at, but I think just important was the was, was that, you know, just the driving down to the commodity of, of, of the general compute that business needs. Nice. Yeah, very, very, very true. And um, I'm definitely a, a, a big, um, I, I'm a big fan of the Lean Startup. I, I found that, um, 
it covered a lot of a lot of approaches that I wasn't implementing in my business at the time, and it definitely helped me sort of chunk down the expectations that I had of the products that we were creating and being able to test them in a much smaller scale. And um, but it's something that I've seen uh, come up in corporates. So a lot of a lot of corporates, uh, definitely in Australia, have become interested in the startups uh, startup land, and and have been getting into uh, startup investments and, and getting, getting sort of getting amongst it, doing from everything from hackathons to getting startup pitches to funding. Um, how have you seen that move of, of corporate Australia into the startup space change the startup land and, and the dynamics in, in the space? Do you see it overall as a, as a positive, negative? Uh, do you have any, any thoughts on, on what corporates are doing to, to startup land? Yeah, look, I, I think they've been a very, very, very slight positive, and you can probably make the case that they've been quite a big detriment. Um, mm-hmm. I have no, I'm a fan of. So I had Riverside Labs up here. We started that in 2012, and and I sold that to Australian Computer Society in 2018, 19. Nice. It's been 18, sorry, yeah. Um, and that was like a, a very interesting six-year ride where we we did everything by trying to help out startups to try and work with corporates, and that was just that was. And I suppose the one thing I learned through that is is what corporates care about. And, and so people inside, they're all very lively people. I'm not even got the people. Um, but it's, it's their motivation. So um, the CEO is motivated to make profit and you know, probably revenue and then profit, right? Um, which is all good. So you know, Malcolm Turnbull might come out and say some flowery words about innovation and then you get some, get the, they all got to be in their bonnet and think, well, we, in order to actually perform and you know be respectable like Prime Minister, we better put the grass skirt on and do the innovation deeds. So they literally, they literally get out and do that. So, um, the, and, and so at a policy level, I, 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 if you're government in a policy level, I think that and if you're looking to corporates, I would, I would just say, please stop doing that. Because it, 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 it's all the ex-consultants um, from PwC and KPMG and God knows warehouse, God knows where else, excuse me, who wants you to do that because they know that they're going to sit there and charge 250000 bucks to run these programs. Right, and that's, and, and honestly, the output from it is, I think poor value for what's delivered for what, what it costs. The way you actually get a, now, now at a government level, if you want corporates to innovate, the way you do that is you threaten their revenue. You encourage the staff to get out there and ignore the corporate. Um, because the biggest thing the corporate does to the startup is, look, look, I want you, I might want your service and I'll pay you fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollars $200,000 a year for the license for X, Y, and Z. And, and that's just a long tail. They will, they will fork you into hell, essentially, on, on, the, on the road to getting that revenue. Um, so ignore them, and especially Australian corporates, because they're, they're, they're way too slow and they're terrible payers. So um, and I, that's why I think they've been you know, barely, barely any good, maybe, and, and probably a net negative. So um, at a government level, if you want to change corporate Australia, introduce lots of really annoying competitors using high tech, um, that will force them to change or they'll lose their market. Uh, and then that's genuine changes. There's no grass skirts involved in that one. Um, for the startup, it's, it's just, you know, in, I'm in Brisbane. I'm, where are you, Philip? Just out of curiosity? I'm in, in Newcastle, New South Wales. You, you might see this as well, then. I'm in Brisbane, which is somewhat of a resource town. And yes. so you have the, the, the headquarters of, of large, you know, ex, exploratory and, you know, resource extraction companies, which I, I've got no problem with at all. I think that's an amazing, beautiful part of our, of our country and our economy. Um, but they, 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 these guys will build take five to they take five years to get their permitting done. And if you if you by God if you're trying to develop a coal mine in, in, in northwest Queensland, they make that twelve years to get your permitting done. 
and yeah. for a mine that's going to last 40 years and you know they'll still be producing power the gold in 40 years i'm sorry greenies so um these guys have a long-term view they really do so it's like you know okay so you want to sell this the next nine months because you have a runway problem right? it's not their problem and i understand that i get that that's that's you know they've got their own business to run so you know holding out hope that some large australian corporate is going to buy your thing and, and they're going to, they say, well, but in order for you to do this, I need you to change these five things about this. So you go and do that and go, well, yeah, but look, you know, we've got a bit of a budget crunch. You should come back next quarter. Yeah, I've heard every last piece of crap out of those people. So stay clear of them. More importantly, Australia is 3% of the world's GDP. I love the place. Don't get me wrong. I carry a rifle for Australia for nine years. That's how much I love the joint. But it's 3% of the world's GDP. If you're in business, get the hell out of Australia. Look, look, look out, look out. And look, there's a lot more business outside this country than inside it. That is awesome. That is awesome. That is, um, I, I did not expect that the answer to go there, actually, but that's, that's a fantastic point. Um, so, so does that mean that the, the type of businesses that you find most exciting are the ones that, that um, can go global, obviously, online? Um, that's, that's where the, the potential is? Yeah, very much so. And I mean, I think that, and I think that the, the Wuhan flu shut, shut down probably accelerated a lot of that as well at the same time, to be honest. Um, so, you know, we like, we've always liked businesses that are, that are globally relevant. We, we call high scale global relevance. You know, if you can rapidly scale around the world and you don't do that, if you've got to ship it, wrap it, cook it, franchise it, it just doesn't happen, right? Um, so, uh, and, and um, if you uh, scale globally around the world, I mean, we've, so we invest in businesses, not just here, but also in the US, for example. We have a, one of our better businesses is a US-based business that runs a cross-border um, payment processing facility in, in, in West Africa, Western Northern Africa now. Growing it like just stupid. I'm, I'm waiting for the latest. I'm hoping they put their latest information out in a press release so I can talk about it more openly. But they are, they are just growing ballistically. And once again, good team, great communicators. They get us lots of information, lots of updates. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll, if you can grab that growth and get that right trajectory, and you, which means if you're growing hard, you're probably growing globally, and then go for it. That's awesome. And that's, that's wow, that's, um, you, you're covering there a few, a few other mistakes that, um, that I made. Um, so I, I What's definitely- therapy for, is it, Felipe? Is that what it is? A bit of therapy for Felipe. I was gonna say. <laughs> It doesn't. It doesn't usually work out like that. But this one, oh man, you're you're definitely um, like when I had my business, I got stuck chasing chasing corporates in yeah. Australia. And, I've, I've said it so 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 often. You just look at it and you're just going like, just yeah, I know what they said. They've been saying that for how long? And, and why do you believe them now all of a sudden? And it's like, ah, stop it. And I just Australian corporates, stop fucking breaking startups. You say you want to help, leave them alone for Christ's sake. Yep. Um. Yeah. Anyway, none, oh, none, of them none of them listen. No, hundred percent. And and the idea of looking outside and, and being scalable and, and focusing on that scale from the start that is definitely the the way to do it. Um, and and um, since you have such such wide visibility across um, across the market through multiple investments, how have you seen um, how have you seen COVID, the Wuhan flu? Uh, what impact has that has that had so far? And uh, obviously, this will be from the perspective of the type of businesses that you look at, which are already at a global, with a global um, focus. But what, what have you seen out of, out of COVID for the startups so far? 
Um, if, you, if you had a product ready to go that, 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 that assisted in workplace productivity uh, or was wholly applicable to people locked up in their houses for way too long and being bored, you did really well. I have a saying, which, how big is your audience in this, Philippe, just curiously? Um, so about, about 20,000. Yeah, right. I love this saying, <clears throat> yeah, that you're either shooting the lights out or shooting your brains out. Um, <laughs> so, um, and with 20,000, where does that put me? <laughs> um, but it, uh, probably probably going to get this on YouTube. Is probably going to get you banned with that sort of me saying that sort of stuff. But um, no, it's it, smashingly well, or smashingly bad. Um, you know, those we had some who raised a bit of money just before, and they'll probably you know, if this goes for any longer than eighteen months, they might be in trouble. But you know, I think we're we're getting through it now, right? And it's been my God, it's been three and a bit months. I got back from the US on March sixth. I was chased out of San Washington DC in San Francisco by COVID for Christ's sake. Wow. So what's that? Three months and one week ago. Mm-hmm. This is just, it does feel like 10 months. It really does, but it hasn't been. It's only been three months. So, yeah. you know, I, I think we'll be free and clear by definitely Christmas. Well, free and clear. COVID's, okay, here's the other thing. COVID's with us. We, we, I think we'll have, a, we'll have a, a rolling series of lockdowns and shutdowns and health emergencies over the next year mm-hmm. as, as a wave through the community because we've locked ourselves inside and we've delayed who's going to get this. Um, now I've got a 79 year old father with a, with a pacemaker. I, I don't want anywhere near him. It was, it was actually designed to kill him. Right. Um, so yeah, dad, stay in your, stay in your, stay in your goddamn house, dad. Um, but if, if we're ever going to interact with the world again, you know, so until there's a therapy that, that, that a survivable therapy, um, or, or a realistic vaccine, we're, we're all, I think all the Western world will head toward, you know, 400 or 500 deaths per million. I think that's probably where it's all flattening out at the moment. Yeah. The bad places like Belgium. Everyone thinks the US is bad. My God, the US has done well for cross sakes. Don't be in Europe. Holy shit. Unless you're in Germany. If you're going to be in Europe, be in Germany. Everywhere else is like, it's like zombies walking the streets. Now, that's probably me being crass again, but it's for the hard time the Yanks get over their COVID response. Actually, they're definitely on the, on, on, on the good side of some sort of, of, some sort of mean on, on that bell curve of responses, right? Mm. So, um, but we're all going to be, because we're all genetically almost identical, right? I think we're probably 98% identical every last year on this earth for as much as we sort of rag on each other and hate each other and do all the race thing and whatever. We're all the same. And so it's going to spread to us just the same, right? Um, I, I can't see how we're going to avoid, I can't see how we can avoid those deaths unless we stay locked up and we never have a single tourist in Australia ever again. Yeah. It's not going Exactly, definitely not. <laughs> so so there's, 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 there's not more water to flow to the bridge yet. I mean, we're going to be get ready for it a bit. So, you know, these tools will become more applicable because there will be, and there probably should be regional lockdowns just to slow the spread. I mean, the whole idea to start with this is data science was to flatten the curve, flatten the curve into China, where you are there, but it's now turned into total extermination for Christ's sake of this thing, which I think is unreasonable, silly, and, and, and doesn't put a single neuron firing to work about what happens after you're actually COVID-free. Because at some point you won't be COVID-free. Does that mean you're going to total lockdown again? Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of hard days ahead of us. And for Australia, it means we're probably going to have 10,000 dead over the next one to two years. I, I don't want that to be true. It's the last thing I want to be true. But, I, I, you know, it's, if the natural point of this is about 400 per million dead, we're 25 million, pretty sure the numbers are right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's very interesting. So, uh, because the... It's bloody morbid, actually. It's bloody morbid and horrible. That's what it is, but anyway. Well, 
what what um what stands out there is is part of your um i guess part part of your personality really so the the part and obviously um from from uh, doing some some research on yourself having and and uh, before that having watched um having having watched you on, on shark tank and things like that um it it seems like you're a a critical thinker um, makes your own opinion, and you're not afraid to to share it. Was that um, was that well? First, do you think that's fair? And second, is that something that um, have you always been like that? Did that develop at some point in your career? Um, how how did that come about? Um, I, look, I've heard a lot more lately. I've been quite vocal up here. I've, I've, I've tried to run a small media campaign or to get our government to, to, to focus on what the hell they're doing to this state by the you know, they've, they've basically swung a baseball bat called an economy at, at, at COVID in order to actually manage the response. And having paid for it, the federal government's paying for it, the state government's spending the money. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen. So um, have I always been that way? I'm not too sure, mate, to be honest. I mean, probably, maybe. Um, you know, I, my, my background is mostly in business. I, I, I finished, I left high school at 15 and joined the army. When they could recruit 15-year-olds, thank Christ, they can't do that anymore. Um <laughs> So, well, no, I've got kids with, I've got mates with, I've got mates with 15 year old kids. I think to myself, oh my God, my parents let me do what? Um, so, you know, so I think, I think the way, and I, look, I have, I, I take a while to, 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 to land in the spot. And in the last few years, one thing I have been doing is I've been, been really trying to understand my, my because I didn't have a classical education upbringing. Um, so I've been really trying to understand my, my points of view on things. I found things like Twitter to be unbelievable for that. What you do is you just roll a hand grenade into a debate and see what happens, essentially. Yeah. There's no shortage of opinions in that cesspit. So, um, so you know, I've, I've managed to try and understand why I think what I think a bit more. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an alien in this sector. I don't quite follow the cause, causes of the day. Is it cause du jour to how they pronounce it? The causes of the day for this sector. I'm, I'm not your, your left-leaning renewable energy lover, which sort of gets me... Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of merit-based hiring, which means, you know, I must be a horrible sexist fascist pig, apparently. So, um, but I, I think if the current state that the world finds itself in socially with respect to its discourse, or lack of discourse, looking at the, the rights and the bits and pieces, is it not enough? Too many people have been counted and not actually saying what they think and, and actually being counted into using someone else's words. And I, I find that tough. So I think that you've just got to stand up and, and I'm massive. I'm a libertarian. I'm a huge fan of free speech. Um, you know, yeah, you can get free speech wrong at times and there's assholes out there who will do it to say some pretty horrible things. But the only thing that protects the weak is the, is the, is the ability to speak freely. And I think if we all did that a bit more often, then I, I think we'd have less issues. Um, with that, you, you hear different opinions and, and you change your own opinion, if you know what I mean. If you don't get yeah. to hear different opinions, you know, um, having a genuine conversation means that you have to risk offending people. You just you can't not talk about something difficult and not offend someone in some audience somewhere. So, um, so I think I've come a long way in the last five years, I think where I'm going. Um, I'm not sure I cared too much before. Probably, I probably started caring since I had kids, I got a seven year old and a pair of three year olds. I think I started caring a lot more then. What was that last bit? You started caring. I have a seven year old and a pair of three year olds. So I think I started caring a lot more once I had kids. Nice. Um, yeah. That's so then that that would help with the 
with the um, vocalizing your thoughts and and getting them out there and, and um, how about the the critical thinking part so uh, clearly clearly you're quite strong at um, being able to decipher things put things together and 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 make your own make your own views make your own opinions find your own path um, how, do you find that that was there? from the start, did that develop during the army times or early entrepreneurship? Um, was there a moment in time that helped you cl have clearer thinking and more cl critical thinking? Um, I, I don't think so. No, no, I mean, series of cascading, you know, there's some, there's some points in your life where you, um, you learn things, I suppose, you understand things a bit better. In business, you know, the, 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 you employ your first person and you fire your first person, you know, they're pretty seminal days, to be honest. Um, uh, and personally, we, we all we all have our own personal tragedies. There's no no need to drag up any of those. But you know, they they always they're a, they're a chance to to understand what the hell you're doing and why you're doing things. I suppose at the same time. So I, I don't think so. I mean, I, I don't read that much outside of things I enjoy reading. Um, I, I, I made a comment once in a uh, at an event. It was deliberate, but I, I had the wrong idea in my head. And I was asked if I read many books, then I only read three books, which is not true. I only read three business-related books is what I, what I meant to say because we were talking about some business stuff. My, my favourite genre of book to read is, is post-apocalyptic, zombie, space warfare. You know, and I've, got, I've, got bookshelf, I've, got a, I've got a bookshelf full of it. But I love it. And, and I listen to it now. now I, haven't, I haven't actually bought a book in years. It's now just audio. It's audible now. I just, yeah. uh, when I'm walking and stuff, put it at 1.2 times speed and sort of off you go. Um, so if I'm going to actually, if I'm going to actually spend that level of time, because I read so much, you get sent half an article here and this article there, and I would read probably a 10th of a book a day, just in, in consuming articles and other bits and pieces. Right. So it's not like you don't absorb information. Um, and since that, I've read about four or five extra business books. So I, pick, I keep getting dragged back to that interview. I'm thinking that, that does sound really shit. I've read that few books. I better go pick up some more and have a bit of a go. But, um, so I don't know. Yeah, I, and it's up for others if I've got critical thinking. The first time everyone ever told me I've got critical thinking. Um, so uh, it's up for others. I, I, I've never thought of that way. I just thought, well, this is, you know, I've got these opinions. I did take some time to understand where my opinions came from and understand, you know, make sure I was, I was on the right track. So I've come full circle. I've, I've, I'm from a very left-leaning family type thing. And, and that's when you're in business, you just can't be left leaning when you're in business. As soon as you, just, as soon as you start encountering real problems, that just disappears in a heartbeat. And at the very best, you send it right. So, um, so I've had to do a lot of soul searching there. That's for sure. And and what what did that look like? What was that process like? Um, it all comes down towards your opinion, your opinions in HR and, and towards employees. You know what I mean? So, um, uh, and you've got to be ready and willing to do the best thing for the company, um, which is not always the immediate best thing for the employee. Um, yeah. in, the long, in the medium and long term, it typically is. When you separate an employee, it, it, usually the company is very happy straight away and the employee gets happier probably in the, in the, in the, in the medium term. And yes. a lot of times it ends up being the best thing they ever did. So, um, and, and so, you know, I've, I've become more of a fan, you know, specifically economically, low tax. Um, and I'd, I'd love to see our labour markets totally deregulated. I think we should lose the minimum wage. Or I shouldn't say we should make the minimum wage the same as the dole. So there's no disincentive to work at that point in time. And I think we'd have a, we'd have a, we'd have a much changed business. I'm, I'm a massive fan of, of, of enterprise. I was chief entrepreneur here in Queensland for three years. I really enjoyed that. I, I did lose favour with the government up here when I started 
advocating on behalf of projects that they didn't appreciate, the Carmichael mine, better known as the Darney mine in particular. Um, it's legal. You know, West African countries shut down legal things because the politicians don't like it. We're not a West African country. If I'm an entrepreneur, the, the biggest thing we all should be advocating for is rule of law. I have no problem with the nation going to a vote or the state going to a vote and saying, we've got to shut down coal mining. But that gets lost. I think that'll be a shame, but it's like, oh, well, we've had their say. But, you know, for the way it occurred, I was, I was quite pissed off, to be honest. So, um, so you know, centre-right libertarian, rule of law focused. Um, and, like, yeah, and that doesn't really fit in well with the tech space because everyone's a lovey lefty here. And lovey is all, but you're pretty left. That's <laughs> true. Oh, I love it. I love it. No, it's very true. Uh, very, very true. No, and it's, and it's great. Definitely. Um, it's, it's, man, it's, it's worked. <laughs> I was going to say it's working for you, but it's worked. It keeps working. Uh, so definitely, yeah, no, don't, don't change. And, and great to do. Um, great that the soul searching brought you back to the same place. Um, that's, that's uncommon. I think uh, generally the, the soul searching, you know, takes, takes people in, in wild and different directions, in your case, bringing you back, good, good place to be. Um, yeah, look, you know, I, I think this is this is ways around. You, you get to a place, and I don't think if, if, if your opinion is ever sort of set that you've never changed it, then I think, oh my god, you're either like fucking genius from birth, or you're you're lying, or you're pretty <laughs> yeah. Cool. So, um, so there's, there's always been a there's been a turnaround on you know everyone has turnarounds, I think. So, um. Uh, and, you know, and when the information changes, if you don't change your mind, then I think you're bad, um, if you know what I mean. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, good. Um, I, was, I was interested to hear that you spent some time in the U.S. Or, or spend time in the U.S., have investments in the U.S. So I wanted to ask you about the, the differences that you see between the, the Australian startup and investment scene versus the U.S. startup and investment scene. What, what are some, some of the similarities and differences you can tell us about? Look, I think I think. Good question. Look, I, I think a lot of my my journey to being a bit more centre was probably started when I worked with Google in the US in two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yeah. There, three weeks after Lehman Brothers fell over, million Americans a month were losing their job, which is you know at that point was the biggest tragedy, but you know it's been surpassed since I believe. Mm. Um, so you know it was just an amazing place to be uh, during the GFC. So. Um, and, and I found it weird. I was walking around, you know, like you see someone riding a bike without a helmet or doing something, you know, freedom loving, like something trivial and freedom loving that in Australia you would be fined for. Yeah. And, you, and you, you, I found myself saying, man, why do they let them get away with that? And you have this reaction. When I came back to Australia, I was only away about 13 months. I had this reaction of why are they stopping me from doing that? It was the weirdest thing. So, um, you know, I, I and, 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 and so, for me, and I think that reflects in their business a lot. So business in the U.S. is easier. It may, may seem unkinder. It probably is at times, but it's easier. So you have a much more deregulated labor market to have in Australia, for example. Um, you know, um, you can hire, well, you're going to hire easier, or you can hire, probably hire, actually. It's just easier to fire. Um, the availability of capital is another thing as well. Um, they have, I mean, they, they have a lot of going against them as well. They have a, you know, they have, 50 states, I've heard anywhere between 1,700 and 9,700 taxation jurisdictions in the US. Um, that once again, that goes towards their notion of liberty and freedom. Um, the, the reason the US president was, was essentially um, powerless to stop the corona spread was because that he actually had no power to do so. All the powers in the hands of the governors, essentially. 
So um, he could sit there and beat his chest. I mean, he probably could have actually said a few more kind of words and maybe put a mask on. He would have helped, but, you know, I doubt materially, to be honest. So, um, you know, so they are very much a, a liberty embracing, freedom loving people. And I think you see that in, in, in the way that they operate in business as well. So um, I, I, I think that all the things that people hate about Australia and believe that, that America does better is wrong. I think that they, that they're an absolute um, administrative nightmare when it comes to governance, when it comes to telecoms and a whole bunch of other stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, things in Australia that are unfortunately regulated at the federal level um, are, are regulated to the, to the level of minutia in the US. So um, I tell the story when I was in, I lived 35 minutes walk from and worked at Google in, in Mountain View. Um, and uh, it was just two, we're in the, right in the corner of Palo Alto, County and Santa Clara County, I can't remember, two counties anyway. They both had their own taxation, sales tax regimes. So counties get to set their own sales tax. And wow. one, one county had a petrol tax and the one didn't. So these two petrol stations on diagonal opposite sides of the roads had like about 15 cents a gallon different in petrol <laughs> because it was the tax rate. <laughs> so um, that's kind of both always. They don't want to go that much of a shit. But um, so, and, you know, and, and this, this a city will have like a, a, a sales tax on, on mobile phones, one won't. So people will drive to the next city to go and buy a mobile phone, things like this. Wow. So, but they like that. That's the, the thing is, people people actually think that's a people actually think that's a bug. Yanks see that as a feature. Their, their response to Corona, we see as a bug. They yeah. saw it as a feature. Wow. So, so the thing about Australia is, you, you actually get a um, in Australia the only choice you get where to live is basically based on weather. Do you yeah. want to be cold or hot? Um, in essence, the corporate, the taxation, everything else is homogenous, and we think that's good. Whereas in the US, you get 52 states, you get somewhere between 52 and 9,700 different places to live based on how you want to be taxed and, and how much, therefore, in local services the government's going to deliver. Do you want a good police force or a shit police force or no police force? That'll finish well. Um, so, you know, how do you want to be taxed? So, you actually get that choice in the US. So, and I think you see that come through in entrepreneurship. So you, you see a lot of really sort of independent people, people had to think and round around these problems. They know how to score bargains. They know how to structure in order to get through that. So you see that. And otherwise, in general, the, the US entrepreneur, they, they, they were born with a pitch deck in their hand. They can pitch a damn sight better than us. Yep. Um, they come across with far more confidence than we do. Um, technically, they're, nah, I, I wouldn't say they're better. I used to take 20 kids every year to Silicon Valley for a two-week uh, trade mission and we would all the big tech icons and stuff startup catalyst yeah so i've been over there lots and i said no their tech talents their tech talent mostly is in americans it's it's an, it's an amazing um uh inbound immigration destination so yeah. mostly is in american anyway so um um they are sitting at the center of the hub which is always helpful when you're at the center of the wheel um, as opposed to being out on one of the spokes out on the rim. So that, that's helpful in an economic sense. They've obviously got a bigger economy to sell to. You know, if you're a big businessman in Australia, you might have tens of millions in revenue. In, in the US, you'll have billions. Mm-hmm. That's the real difference there. So um, so overall, I've just highlighted parts about their economy, differences to Australia, I suppose, what we like about the entrepreneurs. Um, there's a lot more capital, but there's a lot more competition. So there's a lot more entrepreneurs and there's a lot more competition for that capital. Um, and there's a lot more capital there's a lot more competition for the founders, a lot more competition for the capital. So, um, so that makes it interesting. So it's just emblematic of the fact that you just have to find really good, high value, deep networks and work them, work them, work them. Well, how that works in the world of Corona, we don't travel much because literally used to go there and um, probably drink too much with them. Uh, well, Americans are a bit like, Americans aren't quite like Australians. They'll probably stay mostly sober. 
So, um, but we have to go there and build relationships, essentially. Um, yep. it, it's a bit harder now because that's a face-to-face thing. That's a literally a face-to-face thing. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is a face-to-face thing. And as you said, towards the beginning of the interview, like it takes a while to, to create those roots. Um, and, and it's something that you got to keep working at over time. Um, and it'll, it'll pay back, um, over, over time, over a long time as well. So no, really, really interesting. Um, I, I have a saying about networking that if you, if you're after, uh, it's a rule of, it, it's, it's a depressing rule. Networking doesn't scale, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Um, so if you're after a hundred thousand dollar outcome, um, excuse me, if you're after a $10,000 outcome, you've got to talk to, um, a hundred people. If you're after a hundred thousand dollar outcome, you got to talk to a thousand people. And if you're after a million dollar outcome, you got to talk to or expose yourself to ten thousand people. That that could be a trade show or a couple of trade shows, and that's probably quite a reasonable expectation of a couple of trade shows. So it just doesn't scale. You've just got to do it. And if you want to be in business, you're not good at it. Either get out of business or get better at it. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and I did want to want to ask you. Um, and I know that our our time together is coming up. So maybe this will be the last question I get to, to sneak in. I do want to be respectful of your time. And uh, I do want to ask you something quite, quite very related to being good at business and being better at business, which is uh, and one of the things I, I love is your focus on execution. Um, so I wanted to ask you about what, what does good execution look like? What are the things that enable good execution um, Definitely, execution is is what what makes what makes a business, what makes success, makes uh, effective teams. What is that? Uh, what is good execution, or or what is what enables execution? What is what is um, the execution that that um, that you that you focus on? Um, so, the execution that I suppose that that that, that um, expresses itself as traction, and and, and that's, what, that's what we're after is that traction. So you know. Mm-hmm. Profit, revenue, usage. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> what does that look like? So that looks like, you know, okay, if I was to sort of, uh, you'd have a, a, a smart team. So t- you typically have a team. Single founders, dangerous. Yeah. Uh, we've got them, still dangerous. Um, so you'd have a, a really well-balanced team. So I like to say, I like seeing tech in the business or tech in the team. It doesn't mean everyone's got to have tech. They do sometimes, but not all the time. But, you know, you have to have a really good, well-balanced team who are sort of really well structured and have a good head on their shoulders for what they're, what they're, the journey they're about to set themselves up on. Um, it, it, talking to us, they'll have some sort of tech product. So we, we need to see that they've actually got data that's driving their decision making, I suppose. They've actually got some form of process in place with, you know, deep telemetry, with, with, with decent telemetry, preferably deep telemetry into their product to understand what it's doing and how they inform their decisions. Um, yes. I'd be good communicators. So, um, we have we have companies, some companies who routinely will you know, will, will report us every month. Um, you know, a very standard report. And I, I can, it's that standard. You know how long it took. It probably took ten, maybe it took an hour for them because it, it's the template from the previous month. You know, they put the figures in. Probably use goddamn Salesforce templates to send it. Who really cares? As long as you get the information out right. So, um, uh, so it's communication. Um, and with those things, right, you have a really good team, a really strong team who are well-structured there, so therefore when they start to succeed, they'll have a good remuneration structure with respect to options and equity and the bits and pieces. Um, they've got lots of telemetry, so if, if, if they've fired up a product that's not working, they'll, they'll know earlier rather than later. Um, and, and they communicate. So, And hopefully that expresses itself as traction. Oh, definitely, definitely. And, and I guess one, one of the things 
that um, a lot of people focus on or, or that they might think initially as, as good execution is perseverance and just just sort of like non, non-stop determination. But I think that with, with the elements that you just listed, people would be able to gain the information as to whether they should continue to persevere uh, or, or whether it's coming up to, to something that isn't really getting any legs and that they should, they should think about uh, wrapping it up in the sense that like if you have good telemetry, if you have a good team, they, those, those are things that will give you those, those positive, positive signals um, that you are going in the right way. Where, uh, where do you see the, the perseverance and sometimes like blind perseverance that people might, might um, take in their, in, in their business or, or their product? Yeah, so uh, I mean, I, I did leave out a sort of bit of grit and pers- perseverance. That's for sure. You, you do need that. Um, yeah. Because uh, a lot of those things I mentioned don't don't, don't tend to come on, on any sort of linear path. So you you, you can fill the gaps with, with with just good old fashioned hard work, right, and, and determination. Um, then when things are working, there's always a lag in the system. So you know you've just got to and, and you've you've got to you've got to do things the wrong way or you can do the right thing the wrong way to figure out what you actually need to put in place to make it scalable right mm. so um so you, you need to be able to sort of work through all those sort of um little half forward missteps over the time which you, even if you have the most wildly successful business journey and that, that's you, you still gonna have a lot of these little half forward missteps um i, I probably made some mistakes in my business journey that you know i left the army probably similar fitness level than now i'll probably fit about the same size um and then just worked ass off um you know it didn't hurt that there was a couple of fast food restaurants at the bottom of the hill where we lived and end up you know sort of literally chunking on you know going from sort of high 80 kilos to 120 130 kilos if you know what i mean wow. very short but yeah it was a lot of fun though you know people say you haven't done that before you should give it a go i was no, i don't give it a go but it is, it is a lot of fun um it's an absolute pain in the ass to try to get rid of uh but it's a good thing and so i i, I actually buried myself and worked too much, I suppose, and, and didn't look after my, my health as much as I could have. That's going to hurt me. Um, so that already has hurt me and I think will ultimately hurt me. So don't do that. Um, so whilst you want to work hard, at least maintain a level of fitness. That's what I'd recommend everyone on the journey. It's one thing I didn't do, which I wish I had. So um, if you're not prepared to put the hard work in, there's a lot of like young people in this business and young's, young's, up for, young's up for grabs as to what we think young is. Yeah. But, you know, if you haven't, you know, if... if, if because typically you will start out and you'll have less cash available if you work for somebody else. You'll, you'll be taking less because if you are taking the same level of wage, it means your business is doing smashingly well, or you're robbing from it, and you're actually robbing from your own growth and your own your own future. So you know, so if you can if you can put up a little less cash for the for the first sort of one to four years, let's say, while you're really building this supercharged thing, and the best way to do that is to be young. You haven't got three kids and a mortgage, and you know you can sleep on the couch at mum's place. So that's generally why I like younger people. They've got more personal runway. Hundred percent, hundred percent, mate. That is an awesome note to end on, Steve. And thank you so much. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram as datafuturology. Also, go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. 
Thanks again and see you next time.